The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to Ruth chapter 3. This is our third week in a, a brief series through the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And so while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. If you've ever heard this expression before, man plans and God laughs. Y'all ever heard that, that before, something like that? How about maybe some familiar uh, Bible verses from uh, specifically from Proverbs? There's a few here, just for example, uh, like Proverbs 15.22 says, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. Then there's uh, Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Uh, how about Proverbs 16.3? Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Or maybe the, uh, one of the, the more favorite ones, Proverbs 16.9, says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Amen. And then the last one that I found, Proverbs 19, verse 21, says, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. So... Now, all those come from Proverbs, and actually three of them, three of the five actually came from the same chapter in Proverbs. But the, there's a common theme in all those, and it was kind of hard for me to... I didn't want to use this word, but it kind of seemed appropriate. The common theme in all those kind of reflects uh, man's arrogance and God's sovereignty. And, and so maybe arrogance is not the right word. Maybe it's a bit harsh... Uh, maybe I could substitute, substitute the word um, impatience or maybe uh, overconfidence, something like that. But uh, nevertheless, the theme is kind of the same. We have a desire to be in control, right? And part of that is, is control. Part of it is preparation, okay? You want to be prepared. Uh, you want to be uh, confident in your plans, but uh, oftentimes, we don't have sufficient information to make a good plan, right? And we may think we do, and we try, sometimes maybe even we make a plan based on the information we have, and maybe we know that it's not enough, but we try to do the best we can anyway. But uh, in the final analysis, God has all the information. So, so you know his plans are going to be better, right? Because he, he's not limited like we are. And so the good news in all this is God is good and God can be trusted. That, that's the biggest theme, I think, that we see here. And, and we're going to see that, I think, clearly in this chapter. As this story begins to unfold a little more, we've, we've been through chapters 1 and 2, and we see uh, a family that left... God's chosen uh, promised land because there was no food and so they tried to go to a foreign land to find it and then they ended up uh, suffering several losses. The, the father passed away. Then the, 
two sons-in-law both passed away and so, because they got married when they were there. And so then they, now you have a, a, a mother-in-law and two daughters-in-law, and they're kind of, what do we do? And so they decide to go back because they hear there's food in, in Bethlehem and Judah again, and they go back, but one of them stays behind. And so then you have Naomi and Ruth, and Naomi's kind of upset. She don't even want to be called by her name anymore because Naomi means pleasant, but she would rather be called Mara, which is a word for bitter, and she even says that. We're going to get to that here in a minute, uh, a, a reminder of how she said when she got back, well, don't call me Naomi because I went out full. The Lord brought me back empty. Remember that? So call me bitter. Call me Mara. So then in, in chapter 2, we saw how Ruth wanted to go out and do her part, try to help provide, and so she's looking for a place to work, and she happens upon Boaz and his fields. And you'll see, see the hand of God putting those together so she can find a, a safe, beneficial place to work and bring home all this stuff to provide for her and for her mother-in-law. And so then here we are in chapter 3, and things start to escalate a little bit. There's some plans being made, so to speak. So let's read uh, chapter 3 of Ruth here, beginning in verse 1. Uh, we'll read to the end of the chapter, verse 18. Here's what the Bible says in Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest and security for you, that it may be well with you? Now isn't Boaz our Redeemer? with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. So wash yourself, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall know the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will tell you what you shall do. So she said to her, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled, and twisted himself, bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a redeemer. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you say. For all my people in the gate know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true, I am a redeemer. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night. And when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives... Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again he said, Give me the cloak that is on you. 
and hold it. So she held it, and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us a clear understanding of your word today. We've read it, and by your spirit, we want to understand what it means so we can be obedient to it and apply it to our lives so we can give you glory and honor and live lives that uh, demonstrate we belong to you. And so help us in this today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this, this whole story has just taken a little turn. And there's several different points in the story today that I think would, would benefit us from taking a little bit closer look at each one. And, and this chapter is kind of divided into three different sections. And we're going to try to take each one uh, methodically enough to where we can say, all right, here's what God would have us know and how we could uh, obey this word in our lives this week, this month, uh, in our lives every day. So number one is pray before you plan. Pray before you plan. You see in verses 1 through 5, Naomi has hatched a plan. And she wants to uh, garner Boaz's attention for Ruth. So she knew Boaz was their close relative. She knew Ruth had worked in his field with his maids. And she knew Boaz was going to be working at the threshing floor that night. So Naomi told Ruth to do a few things. But here's the thing. Did you notice in there, you know, I got my, my first point, pray before you plan. Did you notice any there, anywhere in there where she prayed? Do you notice where she, maybe she and Ruth talked it over, or maybe they said, well, maybe we should figure out what, what's the best way to go about this, right? Well, she didn't do that. So here's what she told Ruth to do. Wait until Boaz is finished eating and drinking. So after work, she told Ruth to take note of where he was going to lie down. And then once he had gotten good and, and situated and asleep, she told Ruth to go and lie down, un uncover his feet and lie down and then wait for further instructions. Now, here's the funny thing about that. This is kind of a, 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 a different custom. Uh, Leon Morris is helpful here. He writes that, the, the word here is more commonly used for wings than for uh, like a, the edge of a garment that covers the feet. It's used with this meaning. For example, when Boaz talks about the religious aspect of Ruth changing her country, remember when she left Moab and came back to Judah with her mother-in-law? He said, if you remember, this is back in chapter 2 and verse 12, he said... Uh, may a full reward be given to you from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to trust. Remember that? He, he talked about God's wings sheltering her. Well, this is a similar uh, meaning here. And Ruth had put herself under Yahweh's wings when she came to Judah, and now she's seeking also to put herself under the wings of Boaz, kind of as a protection Okay, the, the redemption that she talks about. 
So Ruth then here agrees to Naomi's plan. And here's the thing. It would seem like Naomi is being a little bit impatient. Right? What just happened at the end of chapter 2? Ruth came back from working all day long with a pile of goods. Lots of provision, right? Now remember when they got there, they didn't have anything. It was a widow mother-in-law and a widow daughter-in-law and they had no prospects, no benefits, no standing in the community other than the fact that's where she used to live and it was God's people, God's land. But they didn't have anything. So then... They didn't know what they were going to do, how they were going to provide and, and live. And then Ruth goes out to work and comes back loaded down with stuff. So Naomi sees provision and maybe gets a little impatient. And so she hatches this plan, right? She didn't pray though. Remember, that's number one. Pray before you plan. Okay? So here's what happens. Naomi's plan was somewhat devious. Now I'm going to use some words here that kind of came to my mind when I was thinking through this story and reading it and, and thinking about how can I communicate this in a way that I would understand. So let's look at Naomi's plan a little bit closer because I think it's a little bit devious because first of all she says, wait until Boaz has finished all his work. Okay, so I read that and I say, he's wore out. Okay, that, that's how I would say that. He's wore out. All right, then she says, wait until Boaz has finished all his food and drink. And so I would look at that and say, he's full up. Have you ever said that? Full up? Uh, I have a, uh, an old, uh, a great uncle who would, he would always say, he would kind of push back from the table after he ate a good meal and he'd kind of look down and look at the relationship between his stomach and his belt and, and he'd look and he'd go, I'm protruding. I'm protruding that, and he, he thought that was a good way to say that, or maybe I have had a sufficiency. Whatever the case is, Boaz is full up. He's wore out and full up. And then she says, wait until Boaz is laid down for the night, so wait until he's sleepy or tired. But I, I would say he's not just tired, he's tarred. Y'all understand that, what I'm saying? He's tarred, not just tired. So he's wore out, he's full up, and he's tarred. So in other words, wait, listen, wait until all of his defenses are down. And he's maybe not at the top of his game, so to speak. You know, this is a pretty, from man's perspective, it's a pretty good plan, right? A.W. Tozer wrote, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what the church is doing would go right on and nobody would know the difference. That hurt my feelings a little bit because it made me want to re-examine. How many times have I or we said, well, what do you think we ought to do? knock around some ideas, all right, sounds good, let's do that. Instead of, what do you suppose God would have us do here? Pray before you plan. Number two, trust God 
in your circumstances. Trust God in your circumstances. Now, I, know, I don't know if I, I had this on the PowerPoint or not because I, I've got some slides on there that's got the numbers. Uh, anyway, I'll just tell you what they are. Trust God in your circumstances, number two. Okay? Now, this thought made me think of another, of another movie. Uh, it was back from the 90s called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I don't know if anybody ever saw that silly thing. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Two guys, not very smart. Uh, but when all this craziness started happening, this phone booth kind of appeared in a parking lot of a gas station, and one of them looks to the other and says, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. And so that kind of made me laugh because I thought, strange things are happening here at the threshing floor where Boaz has laid down to go to sleep. Now, the plan's underway. Ruth is doing exactly what her mother-in-law told her to do. So imagine, if you will, you've had a hard day's work. You've had a nice meal. You're tired. You're ready to go to sleep. You lie down, and you go to sleep. And somewhere about midnight, one in the morning, something startles you, and you wake up only to look down at your feet, and there's a half-dressed woman laying there at your feet. So he asked what any reasonable person would ask, Who are you? That's a good first step, I suppose. Who are you? So now it's interesting to note here that the text tells us in verse 7, Boaz's heart was merry. So... I don't know what he had to eat. I don't know what he had to drink. I don't know how tired he was. But he was relaxed. He was uh, fat and happy, so to speak. But he wasn't really paying attention all that well, I suspect, based on what the text tells us. So he says, who are you? He doesn't know what's going on. It's the middle of the night. There's a woman laying there at his feet. And she answers him, it's Ruth, one of your maids. Well, he's not. she's not one of his maids. She's, she doesn't work for him. But she has started working with the ones who work for him. So then basically, she asked him to marry her. Look, look at what the Bible says. After he sees that it's her and she answers, she says in verse 9, Oh, it's, it's Ruth. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a redeemer. So basically, she's just popped a question there in the middle of the night. Surprise! Want to get married? I mean, that's basically what's happened. So you can imagine his shock at this. So look at the way Boaz responds, because this is really important. Boaz responds to Ruth with grace and kindness. He pronounces a blessing from the Lord upon her. He commends her for her kindness in seeking a more mature man instead of someone younger. He tells Ruth not to be afraid. He says he'll do for her whatever she says. And he notes that her reputation among all his people is one of excellence. Okay, but after all that good, when you read what he says... Then he throws a little potential wrench into the whole program because she doesn't know, but he knows there is someone related to them that is a closer relative. Now, why does that matter, you might think? Well, 
according to the custom, whoever has the closest relationship has the first, uh, so to speak, the first right of refusal as far as redemption is concerned. So since Boaz was related, but he wasn't the closest relative, that means someone else got to answer before he did. So he was kind of biding his time. Warren Wearsby writes it this way. We may ask, why didn't Ruth wait for Boaz to propose to her? His statement in verse 10 suggests the first reason. He fully expected that she was going to marry one of the younger bachelors in Bethlehem. Boaz was an older man. Ruth was a younger woman. So evidently he concluded he was out of the running. But the most important reason is given in verse 12. There was a nearer kinsman in town who had the first option on Ruth and on the property that came from the family of Elimelech, which was Naomi's husband. So Boaz was waiting for him to act, but Ruth had then forced the issue by showing up in the middle of the night. So now Boaz could approach this other kinsman and make him decide. So this potential wrench in the plan uh, is something that Ruth nor Naomi anticipated. So he asked her to stay and says he's going to sort it out tomorrow. That's basically what he says when you look there in verse 13. He says, when the morning comes, if he's going to redeem you, that's great. Let him do it. But if he doesn't, then I'll redeem you. And so listen to what he says, as the Lord lives. So that, that's a, a confident um, assurance. But, but can you tell what is his first concern? Is it him? Is it his well-being? No. Look the way he says it. Hey, we'll check with this other fellow tomorrow, and if he'll redeem you, that's great. If not, I will. But one way or the other, you're getting redeemed. So, so where's his focus? It's on Ruth. It's on what is best for you, Ruth. We want to make sure you and your family are taken care of. And so that's his perspective there. So... Wearsby again says, what, what seemed to Naomi to be a simple procedure has now turned out to be a bit more complicated because there's this other man in Bethlehem who was a closer relative. But Boaz didn't withhold that problem from Ruth. He didn't want her to come home with false hope in her heart because joy and peace, based on ignorance of the true facts, are just delusions that lead to disappointment. So the great concern of Boaz was the redemption of Ruth even if it meant it was another kinsman that had to do it. He was concerned with her. Now, her plan is not exactly what it started out to be, is it? Naomi had the plan, and it just went haywire, it seems, because they didn't expect this other option. Okay, so that reminded me of another thing. There's this TV show. You know, if you watch uh, anything to do with, like, Marvel Comics or DC Comics, uh, there's all these different shows and movies and whatnot. Each, each group, you know, has their own variety of superhero. Well, there's this one that my kids have been watching called The Flash. Y'all know that? The Flash, the speedster, the fastest man alive, you know, the red suit with the lightning bolt. You know what I'm talking about? Well, in all his different uh, experiences, he comes across, as you might imagine, all kind of different villains. But there was one in particular that kind of really caught my attention in, in the context of this story because we're talking about plans. We're talking about things that could go wrong. 
And this fellow's name, real funny name, Leonard Snart. That's his name, Leonard Snart. We always used to say it, I, I, I always say it like I'm British because then it sounds like Leonard Snot. You know, it sounds like snot. So I thought that was funny. Y'all might not find that was funny. I just thought it was hilarious. Anyway, the guy's name is Leonard Snart. Well, in one particular episode, he has something to say about his plan. So I, I even found a graphic here to show you what it looks like, uh, who, who Leonard Snart is and what he says. He says, there are four rules you need to remember. You make the plan, you execute the plan, you expect the plan to go off the rails, then you throw away the plan. Follow my lead and you'll be fine. Well, that doesn't sound very uh, encouraging, does it? You know, when you make a plan, you don't expect it to go bad right off the bat. And then you certainly don't expect to just throw it away. But that apparently is what his uh, encouragement was to his crew of people. So let me just break this down for you as you look at the different parts here on this graphic. Naomi made the plan. Ruth executed the plan. They didn't expect the plan to go off the rails, but it certainly did because there was an additional relative of closer relation than Boaz. So the plan's going off the rails. And then at the end of this little interaction, what do they have to do? Throw away the plan, right? Because Boaz says, I'll handle this. Translation. My plan is better than yours. Okay? My plan is better than yours. And then to, to look at the last sentence of this graphic here, follow my lead and you'll be fine. Now isn't that interesting? Put yourself in that position for a moment. If you have come up with a plan that you think is good, maybe you haven't prayed, Maybe you haven't consulted with other people. Maybe you just, hey, this, this seems like it would work. I'll do this. And then somewhere in the midst of your plan, it goes off the rails. And you have to throw it away. Then maybe you think in your, in your mind, maybe I should have prayed before I did all this. Maybe should I, should I have consulted with some other, maybe some wise counsel? before I did all this, and, and then your Redeemer, Jesus, steps in and says, follow my lead, and you'll be fine. Isn't that how we should have started out to begin with? We should have prayed about our plan. And, and yeah, we should trust God in our circumstances, but maybe we should follow His lead. So at this point, before we get to the last point, I just want to say something about how this story now has developed into a picture of Jesus. Boaz, his, his part in the story, is representing Jesus. Ruth, her part in the story, is representing the church. When you see the relationship between Jesus and His church, the Redeemer with those who need to be redeemed. And it makes you think about that relationship. So I'm going to just, for a moment, just remind us of what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 22 down to verse 27. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. 
But as the church is subject to Christ, wives ought to be their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. See, Boaz is becoming responsible for Ruth's redemption, for the redemption of her family. Because he has set aside his own interest in favor of hers. What do you need? How can I serve you best to glorify God and, and to uh, be his representative here in your redemption? So Boaz is pointing us, and he will even more so next week in chapter 4, pointing us toward the way Jesus loves his church. And, and that's how he loves us, uh, by being our Redeemer. So we need to pray before we plan. We need to trust God in our circumstances. The last point, number three, be patient as God works. Amen. Be patient as God works. He tells her that she needs to wait until the next day and he's going to take care of this matter. He's going to find out what's going to happen. So in verse 14, she gets up before the sun came up because she wants to maintain their honorable reputations. And Boaz agreed it wouldn't be mentioned that she came to the threshing floor. And, and he's not going to send her home, though, without giving her more provision. Just as a reminder, oh, by the way, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. So he says, hey, come over here with that coat you got and hold it out. And he dumps six measures of barley into her coat. And then this uh, this is a little odd measurement. A lot of folks disagree maybe on exactly how much it is, but basically, because of the context and, and how much it would be for her to take back on her own, most folks have agreed that it's, uh, this measure is about a third of an ephah. Now, if you remember way back in chapter 2, what she gathered was about an ephah. So this is uh, about a third of that. So six of those would equal two ephahs. And in our terms... You're looking at about 88 pounds of barley. That's a load, right? That's a load. And so he makes sure that she's got it. Instead of having to pick it up, she, he puts it there in her coat. And she comes home bearing gifts and a story to tell. Now this is interesting because I, want to, I, I don't know if your, your Bible says it this way, and, and mine certainly didn't. It said it in the footnote. But the literal translation in verse 16, when Naomi gets home, it says, Naomi looks at Ruth and says, Who are you, my daughter? Now that doesn't seem to make sense, does it? My daughter. She calls her my daughter, but then she says, Who are you? Now why would she say that? Well, let me just tell you. Uh, this is what I found, and it makes sense to me. Warren Wearsby wrote that Naomi's question in chapter 3, verse 16 has puzzled translators and interpreters. Why would her own mother-in-law ask her who she was? The Living Bible paraphrases the question like this. Well, what happened, dear? And both the NIV and the New American Standard both read, How did it go, my daughter? But the original Hebrew says, Who are you? 
In other words, and catch this, are you still Ruth from Moab? Or are you the future Mrs. Boaz? Who are you? What's your situation? So that's why these Bibles, these translations say, so how'd it go? What, what happened? Who are you now? Are you still Ruth, single, single girl from Moab? Or are you Mrs. Boaz, the future Mrs. Boaz? So this is the question. Now, Boaz also sent her a gift. So not only did she come home with a, a story to tell, look how much emphasis she places on the gift and not the story. Isn't that interesting? She wants to know, Naomi does, how did it go? And Ruth's answer says, well, it says she told her all the man had done, but then she said, oh, look here. He gave me these six measures of barley. So like the emphasis is on the gift. And then she tells Naomi, he told me you ought not to go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. That's a good son-in-law, right? Giving a gift to his mother-in-law, trying to uh, get some favor from her. So here's the interesting thing. Remember what I said about Naomi and her perspective when they first came back to town? She said, chapter 1, verse 21, I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Remember that? Well, we can see here now. Guess what? Her empty days are over. She's not empty anymore. Because Ruth went out, worked one day, and then worked, ended up working to the end of harvest, about a month. And in that one month, she's going to have enough provision for the whole year. And if that were not enough, even when she went here to enact this devious plan in the middle of the night to try to strong-arm Boaz into redemption, he's like, you don't have to do that. I was going to do that anyway. I just didn't think you want anything to do with me. I figured, you know, I'm older and these other guys are younger, you probably didn't want anything to do with me, but, but now that you're here, let me give you another gift. And, and remember, I'm going to take care of you. And one way or the other tomorrow, you will be redeemed. That's certainty. That, that's the kind of certainty that you can get from someone who has the standing and the means and the authority and the power to fulfill his word. See, this is more and more Boaz pointing us to Jesus. See, if we're the church represented by Ruth, if Boaz is representing our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, then we don't have to worry about what Jesus is going to do because he's a man of his word. He's trustworthy. He's a man of character. And we know what that character looks like. So when he says something... You can take it to the bank. You can trust what he says. Even Naomi says, look at the, the last verse, verse 18. Wait. Be still. And, and basically Naomi says to Ruth, Boaz is going to handle his business. He's, going, he's not going to rest until he's handled it today. Even Naomi knows you don't have anything to worry about. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Now, how, how similar is that to how we should view the Word of God? 
when, when Jesus makes a promise, just, just wait. He's going to do it. You can, you can trust what He says. Amen. He's never failed. Amen. And He never will. Be still and know that I am God. That, that is such a, a wonderful message for a restless spirit. We, talk, we read that passage as we began the service today. And that Hebrew word for be still, like I said, literally means let go. Relax. It's so easy for us to be impatient uh, with God. And we, maybe we start meddling in matters that we really uh, ought to just leave alone. Because He's God and He can do the impossible. And our hands might just get in the way. Right? And, and just make things worse. So, today, pray before you plan. Trust God in your circumstances. Be patient as God works. You hear those words in there? Patience. Stillness. Trust. Dependence. Those are difficult virtues but they're right when we're talking about a God who is almighty. They're all, they're, all, they're all good because we can trust Him. We can depend on Him. We can be patient with Him. We can be still. See, God has a funny way of teaching us the things we need to learn. Ruth and Naomi were learning these lessons uh, at the same time through these events unfolding in their lives. And so I, I often think of my, myself in similar situations and I'll sit there and I'll be shaking my head and saying, saying to myself something like, if I'd, have, if I'd have just listened to what God was telling me. Or maybe I'll say, if I just waited on the Lord instead of trying to work it out my own way. If I'd have just been still and know that He's God. So here's a, here's a final encouragement. Have we put ourselves at the feet of the Lord? Are we trusting Him to work? One, one evidence of our trust is our willingness to sit still and let Him have His way. It's almost like uh, the song we're about to sing. The refrain, only trust Him. Only trust Him. He will save you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.